Yes. Welcome to everyone who's joining us uh, uh, for our live stream. It's only one part of our service. You can join in with the whole thing by dropping us an email or coming to see us in person here at Chelsea Community Church. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at two places, Matthew chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Makes it easy. If you want to turn with me, Matthew chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you that it shows us your ways and your will. Thank you that it shows us your love. And thank you that it shows us Jesus. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd open up your word to us today, that we might see Jesus afresh and anew in our own lives, and that we might fall more and more in love with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, rest on me to bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Jesus is here in Matthew, very famous passage. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, She would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not the, in the least inferior to the super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this to you in all things. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Sorry about that. Okay. Well, we had a great time in Croatia. That's where we were. You know how, how I spent my summer holiday. It wasn't really summer, uh, but we had a great time in Croatia. The area we went to is called Istria, and uh, it's the only area that we had not traveled to before in Croatia just on the edge. And so we spent most of the time there in this area called Istria. If you've ever been to Italy, then it's very similar. The coast is similar, the towns are similar. In fact, many of the city names are both in Italian and in Croatian. Many people speak Italian as well as Croatian. 
uh, and it's flooded with Germans and Austrians and other uh, European continental tourists. And uh, the, the villages are really, really lovely. All the, all the towns inland are built on hilltops, well, usually with a big church there. And uh, the, the small coastal villages are all lovely and unique in their own ways. Uh, they're notable because they all have multiple ice cream parlors. And that's very important when you're on holiday, either in Croatia or in Italy, as I understand. Uh, so, you know, the, the ice cream is very, very important. In fact, all the food is. Uh, when uh, our friend Darko, he asked, you know, what are the goals? What would you like to do uh, while you're here on your holiday? And I said, well, I've got four or five. Uh, pizza, uh, squid, uh, something with cherry in it, uh, truffles, and ice cream. And we made most of those. Uh, we made all of those, and most of them uh, at least twice. Uh, so that's quite good. And the thing is that all the, the vegetables are in season. And so there was this vegetable stand not far from the house where we stayed, and they actually had proper tomatoes. I mean, they were good. Very, very, you know, rich, colorful, flavorful, and they had great peaches. I haven't had a good peach in 20 years. Uh, the stuff we get in supermarkets here is not good. I'm sorry, it's not good. You can get by with it, but it's not good. It's so good. And the thing about this food, it's so fresh, and they keep it simple, you know? That, that, like the, the, the squid, the ligne, uh, it's, it's sliced and gently deep fried. And oh, it's just so tender, melt in your mouth kind of tender. And, you know, and with food like that, you don't want to mess it up, right? You don't want to mess it up. Yeah, let me tell you how fresh this food was. We were going to have fresh fish. We got the fish. It came in that morning. We went to the fish tank, got the fresh fish. And in Croatia, when you have fish, you need to have potatoes and blitva. Uh, there's, a, there's an English name for it. I've never really learned it. I don't care what it is. Uh, I will just have it there. It's green. It's green and it's wilty, kind of like spinach, uh, uh, like chard. And anyway, blitva. So we went to the fresh vegetable stand, and Darko asked for some blitva. Oh, no. No, we don't have any. Oh, wait. Would you go out and cut some bleetva? So we waited about 10 minutes and they went out to the field and cut some fresh bleetva and brought it to us. Now, that, that's fresh food. You know, it's the kind of thing, I love it when it's fresh, when it's uncomplicated, because frankly, we tend to mess things up, right? When it gets too complicated. Like fresh fish. If you do much more than, than grill it and put a little uh, garlic butter on that, uh, maybe some olive oil, you know, that's the way to have it, right? You don't want to make it too complicated. It messes it up. Uh, you can have it deep, deep fried and fish and chips. That's okay because it's not too complicated. We, but we tend just to mess everything up when we make it too complicated. You know, all this fancy poncy food that you get and you pay so much money for, you know, it takes 10 hours to prepare and you're like, just bring me a steak, would you? You know, I just want some basic food. Same way with our relationships. You know, if we try to make them too complicated, uh, we, we watch TV from time to time, 
and we're looking at these relationships and you know so and so having a baby are you going to help raise the baby i don't know and they're all this stuff and i'm thinking man you just made this too complicated you wait till you're married you have sex once you get married and then you commit to one another for life and yeah it's still pretty complicated but at least it's less complicated right okay you know we do that with church too there's a lot of people that just makes it too complicated they get too into all these different theories about the angels and the heads of the pins and all this kind of stuff and you know it's not that difficult it's not that difficult yet Right now, we look around us, and there's so much that's very messy and complex. And we see that unfolding in Israel. We obviously see it in the Ukraine. We see it in our politics. When did politics get such a mess? You know, whether it's in the UK or the United States, doesn't matter. We see it in sexuality, all the different permutations, and, and we see it in business. We see it in churches. And we oftentimes see it in our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we make it messy, when we make it complicated, then we run into problems. When we make it messy and complicated, particularly our faith in Jesus Christ, that's when we start to have some serious struggles with regard to following Jesus. And so we need to keep it simple. And we need to keep our focus in the right place. And really, that's what the next few weeks is about. And we read this passage from Corinthians today. And in the New Testament, the Corinthians were a mess. Now, from time to time, I get people to say, Rod, I think we should just go back to the New Testament church. And doesn't that sound great? You know, back to the New Testament church. Well, here is a New Testament church, the church in Corinth. It's divided it's separating the, the, the rich from the poor. It's separating the super spiritual who speak in tongues from those that, that don't know what spiritual gift they might have. Uh, they're after these super apostles instead of Paul who started the church. They want to get this next, the next latest thing. If they had YouTube there, they'd been glued to YouTube all the time looking for the next apostle and stuff. And the church is a mess. I don't know about you, I don't want to go back to that. In fact, that church stayed a mess. Even after the year 100, there, there are apostolic leaders writing to the church in Corinth, trying to straighten them out. <laughs> These are pretty messed up people. And they were wanting to make it complicated. They were wanting to be able to rate people on the quality of their spiritual gifts, on the person that they followed. On, on their level of knowledge about theology and all of this. And they made a mess out of it. And Paul, in his letters, he's calling them back to Jesus. Call, Paul is saying to them, listen, guys, I want you to maintain a simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. It's not about the apostle you follow. It's not about whether you have a whole lot of bread or a little bread when you have the Lord's Supper. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The focus is Jesus. The center is Jesus. And he is the test of your theology. He is the test of your faith. He is the one 
who saved you, who rose from the dead, who lives for you, who has called you together. And we need this same kind of simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And we can learn some things that are key to this from this little passage in 2 Corinthians 11 and what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. First thing we learn is that we must believe and affirm that we are defined individually and corporately by our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's our relationship with Jesus that makes us who we are. As a person, it's your relationship with Jesus that makes you a saint, that makes you a son of God, that means you're saved, you're healed, you're delivered, that means your sins are forgiven, it means you're accepted by God, it means that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, even though it hurts sometimes. It's all from that relationship with Jesus. And that's not only true for us individually, it's also true for us corporately. It's about Jesus. Church is about Jesus. It's about exalting Jesus. And we together, Paul is saying, we have been betrothed to Jesus Christ. Jesus is our present. And Jesus is our future. We are going to be the bride of Christ. We are united with Christ right now, individually and corporately. We are one with one another, and we are one with Jesus Christ, all because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have to have only one leader, and that's Jesus, and our full allegiance has to be to that leader, Jesus Christ. We are to be undivided and undefiled in our commitment to Jesus Christ. And we need to learn that. We must believe it and we must affirm it that who we are, personally and corporately, comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, we are lost. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. In Jesus Christ, we have everything. It's the first thing we need to learn. The second thing that Paul is telling them here is that we must guard against our minds being led astray from Jesus and being deceived by the devil's craftiness, just like Eve was. We have to guard against this. If we don't guard against it all the time, the likelihood is that we will be deceived and we will go astray. And that was Paul's concern. He said, I've got this burden for you guys that you're going to be deceived, led astray by the cunning, the craftiness of Satan, just like Eve was, and you're going to lose just like Eve did. Now, the word here that's in the ESV translated as thoughts, I believe is better translated as minds because it's not just about our individual thoughts, it's about our thinking processes and our attitudes. Everything that goes on up here as part of our mind is incorporated in this word. And that's how it's translated in other places in 2 Corinthians uh, as well. Being led astray or being deceived is about our thinking processes becoming corrupted and contaminated so that we're not thinking clearly and so we're easily swayed from the truth. 
And that's a real danger right now. There's a lot of stuff out there, even from people that historically I might have trusted as a teacher, that I'm saying, I don't trust this person anymore because something's wrong. Something is not measuring up and they seem to be going away from Jesus. And we have to understand here that the devil is crafty and he's cunning and he knows us very well. And I guarantee you that Satan has strategies to bring us down corporately and to bring you down individually. He's got strategies that are based on who you are. He knows your preferences. He knows your opinions. He knows your feelings. And he will design a strategy just for you. And he can do that. But the good news is we don't have to be afraid of that if we stay connected to Jesus. If we keep the focus on Jesus. That's the key. That's the key. And so we can learn some things about what Satan did to Eve. You know, when Satan was talking to Eve, he suggested to her, you remember the story in the garden, right? Did God really say, you know, he knows that if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God, okay? Just kind of a, as a quick remember, reminder. So what was he doing? He was suggesting to Eve that she was not enough and she was incomplete on her own which, by the way, she was. She was. But Satan was saying, there's something wrong with you because you're incomplete and not enough. There's something wrong with God's design, but you could be enough on your own if you just ate the fruit. That was part of the strategy. And so often we're tempted to to be more. We're tempted to say, I can be my own person. I can live my own way. And that's a lie. That's a lie. He also was suggesting to Eve that God was depriving Eve of something that was good. But she could have this good thing for herself on her own if she really wanted it. And isn't that the case? Don't we hear that all the time? Satan suggesting to people today, that, oh, if you don't have sex before marriage, you're depriving yourself of something good. Oh, if you don't take drugs, you're depriving yourself of a good experience. Oh, if you don't do this or don't do that. God is just mean-spirited, and he wants to keep you from good stuff. And Satan was also suggesting that Eve could live independently of God and independently of Adam. He's saying... You don't need God, and you certainly don't need a man to complete you. Have you ever heard something like that? You certainly don't need a friend. You certainly don't need another human being, and you don't need God. Really, you can, you can do it on your own. And, Eve, and Satan was suggesting that Eve could control her own destiny. He's saying, Eve, take the reins of your life. Be in control. Because God knows you'll be like God and you'll be in charge if you just eat the fruit. You can make yourself however you want to make. You can have any identity that you want to have because you're going to be like God. And Satan still does that today. He still suggests that people can be like God. He still suggests that people don't need God and they don't need other people. 
We can solve the climate crisis in the UK by ourselves. That's silly. We can't. Not to say we shouldn't do something about it, but we're not going to solve it ourselves. That we can choose to correct God's apparent mistakes he's made with our biology. That we can shape our society according to our own desires and our own expectations and build a better world than the world that we inherited. If we only have the right church or the right strategy or the right material or the right technique, then we can lead the world to Jesus. Satan is still leading people astray today. And we have to be on our guard, Paul says. We have to be on our guard because his strategy is tailored for you. And then Paul goes on. He says, you know, uh, this is in my words, although we may have some differences of opinion regarding our faith, there are certain differences that we must not tolerate and endure as God's people. There are always going to be differences of opinion. And many people use that to criticize God. But you know, God designed it that way. Paul even told the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians, he said, now guys, there has to be some disagreements among you, some differences, so you can discover the truth. If we all agreed on everything all the time, we would be easily deceived. So God has created us with different perspectives, different opinions about a myriad number of things. And even in the church, those different perspectives and those different opinions are important and valuable. Having a difference of opinion does not mean you're not united in Christ Jesus. It just means that you see something a little bit differently. And that's okay. But there are some things, three that Paul mentions here, that we cannot differ on without departing from the faith. The first one is Jesus. There is not another Jesus than the one who is revealed in the pages of the Bible. There's a lot of people that want to make Jesus in their own image and their own mind. They want to isolate some of his sayings from other sayings, but we have to take Jesus as the whole package. And it's got to be the Jesus revealed in the Bible. There's other people who want to pick and mix. You know, they say, well, there's some passages I don't quite agree with in the New Testament, and so I'm going to eliminate those and say, Jesus didn't really say those, and I'll just take the ones that I think Jesus really did say. And there's a long tradition of this. Thomas Jefferson, uh, one of the, the founders of the United States, apologies for those British friends that uh, are still upset about that. Uh, but Thomas Jefferson, he went through the Bible and he eliminated everything he thought was miraculous or too fantastic, including the resurrection of Jesus. So this has been going on for ages, all the way back into the time of the New Testament. You cannot have a different Jesus. There's only one Jesus who was fully God, fully human, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, who rose bodily from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and who will come again. 
If you depart from that, you got another Jesus. And Paul says, there cannot be a different Jesus. There cannot be a different Holy Spirit than the one you received. You know, we all received the Holy Spirit when we became a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that converted us. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live for Jesus. And there's only one Holy Spirit. And again, he's revealed in the pages of Scripture. Unfortunately, we have a problem today with some leaders trying to deny the fullness of the Holy Spirit as he's been uh, revealed in the pages of the Bible. They say, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't give gifts anymore. That died out with the apostles. Doesn't say that. Doesn't even imply that. And it used to be 30, 40 years ago, I knew some teachers like this, and I said, well, you know, but they're a good teacher. The rest of what they teach is okay. But frankly, Paul is saying here that if you get the Holy Spirit wrong, you cannot be called a good teacher. You cannot be called a good teacher because there's only one Holy Spirit, the one that's revealed in the Bible, and there's only one gospel, and we cannot accept a different gospel. And that gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures, that he rose bodily from the dead on the third day according to scriptures, and that through faith in Jesus, by God's grace, our sins are forgiven, we are united with Christ, and we have eternal life with him. Now, that's the basic foundation of the gospel. And there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. And there's not a lot of difference in that. Then the final thing. So we've got this so far. So far, we've learned that we must believe and affirm that who we are corporately and individually comes through our relationship with Jesus. We have to guard our minds against being led astray. We can tolerate differences but we must remain strongly united on these key things, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. And Paul is saying here, the fourth thing, we must keep our focus and attention on Jesus. We must keep our focus and attention on Jesus individually and corporately. Jesus must be present in every one of our meetings. We must be exalting Jesus all the time. And you might think that this goes without saying, but I have to say, I've been in Christian meetings where Jesus mentioned. Talk about God. You know, talk about the Lord. Never talk about Jesus. We have to keep our focus and attention on Jesus. And Paul tells us we need two things here. Uh, it's often translated simple and pure devotion, but actually those are two different things. First, Paul is telling us we need us to be single-minded toward Jesus. We need to be single-minded toward Jesus. We need to have a simple faith and devotion toward Jesus Christ. We need to have a sincere commitment to pleasing Jesus in the way we live our lives. Our loyalty to Jesus must be undivided. It has to be our highest loyalty above country, above family, above everything. And we need to be focused on Jesus with our minds and in terms of our purpose in living. That's single-minded. 
being single-minded toward Jesus. And Paul says the second thing we need, that's translated simple and pure devotion, is we need a pure heart toward Jesus. We need a pure heart toward Jesus Christ. Our devotion to Jesus must be unmixed and uncontaminated by the desires of the world. We need to set our lives apart for Jesus. Say, Jesus, I belong to you. First and foremost, I belong to you. And this means we need to be established in the truth of who Jesus is, not in our opinions of Jesus and not of the Jesus that we want to create in our own minds, but the real Jesus. The simple and pure devotion must be to Jesus Christ himself. Not a religion, not an ideal, not our imagination, but the truth, a truth-filled knowledge of Jesus. So how do we nurture and focus that? How do we nurture such a focus and such an attention to Jesus? I'll suggest a few things. We need to think about Jesus. How often during your day does Jesus come into your thoughts? One of the best ways to make sure he comes every day is develop a solid Bible reading process. And every day, read a passage from the Gospels, just a chapter or so, or memorize a verse. But learn to think about Jesus and reflect on Jesus, even asking yourself questions that were popularized, you know, on those bracelets, what would Jesus do? Well, that's okay. What would Jesus do in that situation? Think about him. A great way to get our mind focused on Jesus is to sing about him. We're going to do that in a few minutes. Sing about Jesus. Read about Jesus, as I said. And when you're reading about Jesus, read the original version, not the commentary. Everything you find on YouTube is commentary. Unless it's somebody reading the actual text of the Bible. And that's great. You've got to be reading the Bible for yourself. When I was growing up, it was really popular, these devotionals. And every day you'd have a devotional, and there'd be one verse of Scripture, and then about four or five paragraphs. And those are okay. Those can be very helpful. But that's not the same as reading about Jesus. You've got to read chunks of Scripture, not just a few words of Scripture. And that's where having the book can be helpful. I know a lot of people read on their phones. That's okay. Reading on your computer is okay. But it's really good to hold the book in your hand and read from the text. You got to read about Jesus. You need to talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus with your kids. Talk about Jesus with your friends. There might not be Christians. That's okay. I'm not saying you, you preach at your friends. But you can talk about Jesus with your friends. What I've discovered is that most of the people in the world around us, they're kind of indifferent toward Jesus. And they certainly don't get offended when we talk about him. Only when we, we start preaching at him. So just talk about Jesus and gather with Jesus with other people. That's why we come together. We're reminding ourselves about Jesus 
We're gathering with Jesus. We're collecting with Jesus. And the key thing is, and it gets back to what Jesus said in the gospel. When we do this, when our devotion, our single-minded devotion is on Jesus, when our pure-hearted devotion is on Jesus, it's like coming to Jesus. And it's in that that we find rest for our souls. Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. I really struggled not to get depressed because globally the church is in a mess. And I see it. I see it. Spending time in, in whole regions of countries where there doesn't seem to be a single healthy church among several hundred thousand people in countries that have a Christian heritage even though they're in Babylon, they have a Christian heritage. It's so discouraging. It seems so big. The war in Ukraine seems so burdensome. What's happened in Israel, it's such a weight that comes upon us. All these things are happening. We're looking around us, the relationships we have, you might be having a struggle with a friend or somebody else, a boss, a struggle at work, and life gets complex, and life gets messy, and we get so exhausted. Oh, I don't know. I get so exhausted. I get so depressed. I get so discouraged in the midst of all of this. And the key for us in the middle of the mess is to focus on Jesus. The single-minded devotion to Jesus. The pure-hearted devotion to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We so easily mess things up when they get too complicated. But in these next few weeks, today, we're focusing on Jesus. Jesus and Jesus only. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved us. You loved us so much that you were willing to come and be born as a human being, even though you were fully God. You loved us so much that you lived a lifetime in our midst without sin, putting up with our sinfulness and our wickedness, you loved us so much that you willingly paid the price that we should have paid in dying on the cross as a penalty for our sins. You loved us so much that you did not leave us wallowing in sin, but by your grace you spoke forgiveness and by your resurrection from the dead, <coughs> you conquered all the power of sin, death, and hell in our lives. And you loved us so much that you're every day interceding for us, individually and corporately, until that time when you come again. Jesus, our eyes are on you. Our hearts are turned toward you. Our minds are turned toward you. 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd fill our hearts and fill our minds with you. Not the Jesus that the world wants to make, not the Jesus of the so-called scholars that want to eliminate most of what you've done or said, but who you really were as revealed by those who were really there, who lived with you, who saw you, who heard you, and who shared you with the world. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us afresh and anew, that we might have a single-minded devotion to you, a pure-hearted devotion to you, and find rest. We love you and praise you, and I pray that you'd attend to us now as we worship you. For we pray all these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.